We're starting a new series uh, this Sunday, and we're talking about uh, community. We're uh, using the, uh, the idea of friend request, uh, clever play on Facebook, uh, friend request, but the idea of community, what it looks like, um, why it's so important. And we're going to do this over a series of weeks, and this morning we're going to build that foundation uh, from the scripture and talk about why it's so critical in each of our lives. I think sometimes we talk about community, we talk about friendship, fellowship, uh, but we never really talk about why it's so critical. Uh, we don't define it in a way that we really can uh, apply it uh, in our lives. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few uh, few weeks. And I was reminded uh, as I was thinking about that this week of a book that was written. It actually it was published in 1984 by John Nesbitt, who was a futurist. And uh, it's called Megatrends. It was such a huge seller that years later, um, he wrote another book. Uh, a book called Megatrends 2000. And if you go to Amazon today and look at that idea of meg, uh, Megatrends, just type that in, uh, you'll get a dozen different books with Megatrends in the name that everybody wants to find out. What are the trends? Where's the culture going? How can we get, uh, how can we adapt? How can we stay relevant in the marketplace? All of those kinds of things. And the first one was this book, Megatrends, in 1984. One of the interesting things about meg Megatrends is they predicted uh, th they predicted that theaters, movie theaters, would be extinct in a very short while because of this cool little invention called the VHS. And that because now that we had the VHS and we could all watch movies at home, who would, who would waste their time going to a theater? So they predicted that, uh, that movie theaters would, would be extinct pretty soon. And how'd that work out for them? Not so good. We kind of moved from VHS to DVD to you know, digital formats. And, and yet with all of that uh, progress, people are still flocking to theaters. People are still going uh, to theaters. Now we're, you know, it's this incredible time of year. It brings a tear to my eye. Football season is starting. And, and I kind of like watching games at home, but millions of people are going to flock to football stadiums. Uh, so they can overpay for parking and overpay for tickets and then sit with 50,000 of their best friends, right? And, and have this experience. But there's something in us, though, uh, that we need that experience. We need to be with other people. We, we need that idea of being part of something. And so people will go, and, and really you can go, and it's fascinating, you can be in the middle of 50,000 people and still feel lonely, can't you? You can be in the middle of 50,000 people and still feel alone, still feel isolated, uh, still feel like you, you, you don't belong. And so somehow we, we still bring crowds together, but we don't know why, and it doesn't seem to be enough. Uh, another cultural phenomenon is Starbucks. Now, you may be a Dutch Bros, you know, cult member, but, um, or some other coffee place, but Starbucks made it cool to go to coffee again, right? And Starbucks sort of re rebuilt that whole idea of living in Phoenix and going in the afternoon to have coffee, hot coffee with somebody. Who does that, right? But there's something about Starbucks. There's a way they've created a culture there, uh, the way they built it, that, that it's the new Cheers. Remember the old TV show Cheers? And, and you, go, you, you go to the bar, and that one of the taglines that really captured me was, if, you, if you're there, everybody knows your name. 
And there's something in us that longs to be in a place where everybody knows our name, where we belong, where we have friends, where we're connected. And, and that's what they built that whole show around. And that's what Starbucks is built around. There used to be a card, I don't know if they still have it, um, that was in, in Starbucks that said this. One side of the card read, create community, make a difference in somebody's day. Interesting. And then if you flip the card over, it would say this. When you work at Starbucks, you can make a difference in somebody's day by creating an environment where neighbors and friends get together and reconnect while enjoying a great coffee experience. So we don't go for coffee anymore. We're going for the experience of having coffee with someone. We're going for the experience of being at a Starbucks. And they have created a culture where it's a whole experience that we go to enjoy friends, we go to enjoy family, we go to make connections with people uh, at this place. And they have, I mean, they have exploded this whole idea and, and they've pointed out a need to us that we desperately need to be connected. Starbucks sees themselves as more than selling a cup of coffee. They believe part of their purpose is to create environments that connect people so meaningfully that it changes the quality of their lives. And by the way, they'll keep coming to Starbucks that that's part of it. And what they seem to understand is that we're a culture craving relationships. We go to the movies or maybe we go to a sporting event, but we've lost the art of friendship. And it comes up at church all of the time. I hear from people, I don't have any friends. I'm not sure how to make friends. I don't know people. And it feels like that there's an epidemic of loneliness going on. In fact, one pollster, George Gallup, said that Americans are the loneliest people in the world, that we're the loneliest people in the world, that we have all of these places to go, and we're still lonely. A couple of weeks ago, I, I talked about this idea of a front porch, that, you know, my grandparents had a front porch, and all the neighbors would come by, and people would stop, they'd stop for coffee or iced tea or something, and they'd all visit on the front porch. And front porches have pretty much disappeared today that we go to our backyard, we go to our back porch, and that's where we rest, that's where we, you know, we read, that's where we have a cup of coffee, but it's by ourselves or with somebody that we invite, but it's not open uh, to the whole community, it's not open to all of our neighbors and our friends, but we isolate ourselves. And we're starving for relationships. So here's a couple of questions that I wanted to ask you this morning. If, if you, you know, you might want to write this down. This might be hard for you, but uh, if you were really in trouble, if you had a huge emergency, who would you call at 3 a.m.? Is there anybody that you can think of that you could call at 3 a.m. if you were really in trouble? I hope there is, but you know, for most of the people living in Scottsdale, they would have no idea. Call 911, that's our shot because we don't know anybody, we don't have any friends that are that close to us or that we trust that much that we would impose on them at three o'clock in the morning. We just don't know who they are. And if you have some, that's probably a pretty short list because we don't live in that kind of community anymore. I've never called those people. I'm not sure if they, they would call me if I called them. I don't know, you know, and, and what if I did call them then I'd owe them a huge favor and then what would I do if I couldn't do it when they, you know, we worry about all of those things, don't we? Here's the second question. What do you think people are looking for in meaningful relationships? What's a real friendship? What's a real relationship look like? 
Do you think we even understand what that looks like? Do you think we even understand what it means to have a real significant relationship in our lives? Well, oddly, God gives us a picture of that in the scripture. And we go all the way back to Genesis to look at it, to start at the very beginning. So here's what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 says this, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1, here's what he's saying. A couple of pretty profound things that we want to look at this morning. The very first thing is it says, is that God created man, God created mankind in his, and he said, let's create man in our image. You notice the plural that he uses there, that he says it's our image. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's what we call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all together, all in unity, all doing something together, calling creation into being. He says, let us make man in our image, just like us. That God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit living in perfect unity, in perfect harmony, just the way God intended. And then he says, now, let's let's do that. We live in perfect unity. We live in perfect love and perfect harmony. Let's create men and women in our image. (laughs) God's saying, let's create men and women to live in that same kind of perfect unity, perfect love, perfect harmony that we live in. That's what it means to live in the image of God. That's what it means to be created in the image of God, to share the community that that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have experienced together for all of eternity. Let's create men and women like that, to live that way. How are we doing? Well, here's something else. In Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man shall be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, we tend to think of this in regards to marriage, but one of the things that's pointing out to us is that God never intended us to, to live alone. He never intended us to live in isolation, that he always intended to, uh, for us to live in community. He created us for community, and we're never really whole until we experience that community. We experience that oneness, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit oneness. God says, that is what I want. That's the picture I want for all of you. Meaningful relationships, significant relationships. But the opposite of that is that we live in isolation. We live without those relationships. We, we live private lives. We don't think it's anybody else's business uh, uh, to know what we are thinking, to know what our lives are like. And so we create this sort of isolation in our lives. And, and there are several things, there are lots of things that happen when we live an isolated life. And I want to point out four of them. The, the first thing that happens when we live in, in isolation is that we lose perspective about life. When when we live in isolation, we lose perspective on life. Our highs get higher, our lows get lower. 
that, that we're sometimes so afraid to make a decision that it paralyzes because we don't want to be wrong. Everything is drama. Everything is so hard. Or else we get compulsive and we make decisions before we really think them through. But we, get, we lose perspective on life. The, the second thing that happens when we live in isolation is that we become fearful. Uh, because again, if we live in isolation, then it's just about us, right? And we become fearful and we, we begin to wonder if people really knew us. If they really knew who we are, would they still like us? Would they still accept us or would they reject us? And we live in constant fear of being found out or constant fear of being rejected or constant fear of failure, but we live in failure because we're living in isolation and we don't have anybody to put perspective to that. We don't have any place to get perspective the third thing is that we live more selfishly when we live in isolation. I meet with guys all the time who have made you know, pretty horrific mistakes in their life, relationships, things like that. And one of the things that I often tell them when I'm listening to them is that, you know, nobody ever has a blow up. It's always a slow leak. There's always things leaking in our lives that, that our values are leaking, our commitments are leaking. Uh, you know, our time with our family starts to leak. Our time with our spouse starts to leak. And it's never a blow up, but it's also always a result of a slow leak that's going on in our lives. And when we're isolated, we don't have anybody that, that is around us that can see that happening, that can challenge us. Maybe our spouse tries, but we need a team. We need more people around us. We need people who are willing to speak the truth to us. We, we talk about this here all the time, that we need people in our lives that we can't lie to. People in our lives that speak the truth to us. And you need that in your life, and I know I need it in my life. And I know that Jenna needs you guys to speak into my life, because she gets really tired of being the only one sometime. Yeah. But we all need people in our lives, right? We, need, we are created to live in that kind of community. And when we live in isolation, then we begin to get selfish. We think the world revolves around us. It's about how I feel. It's about what makes me happy. So here's what happens. I sit down with a dad who's just, you know, messed it all up, and, and he says, why can't everybody just get over it? Seriously? You just did all of this, and now you just want to say, why can't we just get over it? Because the world revolves around you. And when we live in community, when we live in a relationship, we don't get to do that because we understand that my life is connected and I'm dependent on the people around me. You know, the fourth thing is that people who live alone are at much greater risk of sickness and poor health than those who are connected. One study found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relationships. People, people who had bad health habits but strong social ties were, lived significantly longer than people with healthier habits but who are isolated. Which caused me to come to the conclusion that it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli by yourself. I knew there was a silver lining to this, right? But it's true. We're even healthier. We're even healthier when we live in community with each other. And then Jesus weighed in at a really particular time. In John chapter 17, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. 
And he's washed their feet. They've had supper together. He's explained to them again what he's about to go through. He's told them, let, your hearts, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in the Father. You've got to believe in me too. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He goes through all of this with his disciples. And then at the very end, before they go to the garden, he prays over them. And it's called Christ's High Priestly Prayer in John 17. And here's how he begins that prayer. Uh, he says in John 17, 1, he says, When Jesus spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. Pretty important sentence here. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Verse 4 says, I have glorified you on earth. Jesus, praying to the Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So the triune God, in perfect harmony, in perfect love, and Jesus says, Father, I came, I gave up that to come, to be on the earth, that for God so loved the world that he sent his Son, that Jesus gave up that glory so that he could come and die on a cross for us. And now he says, Father, I have glorified you on earth. Everything I've done has been for your glory. Now glorify me as I finish the mission that I came to do. And here we have the Father, Jesus saying, Father, glorify me. I have glorified you. I want that to be a picture of what we, our relationship, of, of what we're like. He says, I want that to be the picture that people carry in their hearts. That's the way that people live. Can you imagine living in, in a culture where everybody tries to glorify the other person? That, that I don't have to seek my own glory anymore. I don't have to worry about my own reputation because you guys are taking care of that and, and you don't have to worry about getting your due and, and your glory anymore because the people around you are taking care of that, that we're living to glorify each other. Can you imagine living that way? Can you imagine a community like that? how that would change everything in our world. Change everything about it. Well, Jesus continues. Down in verse 20 of chapter 17, he's praying that this is how they would live, and then he says this, I do not pray, I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus says first, he says, I, I, I'm praying for my disciples, I'm praying for those who are in the room with me, but I'm asking for something else that I'm also asking for those who will come behind them. I'm asking for those who are gonna believe because of their word. He says, I'm, I'm, believe, I'm, I'm asking for those who are gonna come uh, after the resurrection, those who are gonna come after I've ascended to heaven, those who are gonna come when Peter preaches his first sermon and 3,000 people respond, but I'm also, I'm also praying for those who live in Scottsdale they're gonna hear the word a couple of thousand years later. I'm praying for them too. Not just who he's with, but who comes after. And this is what he prays in verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. 
Think about that for a second. Just as you are in me and I'm in you, that they will be in us, that that will be how they live. That's the, what it means to have Christ living in us, that the God of the universe has taken his dwelling in us. And then he gives this last part of it. He says that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Oh my goodness, that they may be in us so that the world might believe that you have sent us, that you have sent, that you have sent me. Verse 21 ought to get our attention. Verse 21 ought to catch our breath. It ought to make our head just snap just a little bit because of what Jesus is saying. He, he, Jesus is saying that the credibility of his life and message in the eyes of those who don't believe is dependent on how, the way that we as believers love one another. How are we doing with that? What, what does the world see when they look at our lives. Somehow their path of to belief is connected to how we care for each other. That's what Jesus said. That's how he prayed so that the world will see and know that you sent me. So that my message and my life and the cross will be validated by their lives and by their love for one another. You know, I, I used to tell my sons when they were growing up, I, you know, that, that their friends in school or when they were going out, that, you, that how you behave is that you, you might be the only Jesus that your friends see today. And you need to be aware of that. But, but here's, the, here's how it really works for us as a church, is that the world looks at us and looks at how we uh, love one another, how we care for each other, how we learn to live in community. We're not perfect, but that's what we strive for. That's how we live our lives, and the world sees that, and that is that what will either, either give credibility to the gospel, to who Jesus is, or, or it will undermine the gospel and who Jesus is, that it's dependent on our love for one another and how we live out our faith with each other, how we care for each other. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 13, he said, he said, you're a city set on a hill. He said, let your light shine. You're a city set on a hill that people will look at our collective light, not just individual lights popping up here and there, but our collective light and the world will be drawn to Christ by our light, how we live together, how we shine together, how we lift up Christ together, how we care for each other in genuine, authentic love, the way Christ created us to live out our lives. That's what the Lord intends for us. And, and I, feel, I feel horrible that, that what the world often sees is quite the opposite. People who don't get along. People who want to live isolated like everybody else. People who are selfish. People who aren't living, aren't expressing that kind of unity that God created us to express that he would have for us. What is it that God wants us to be today? What, how does he want us to live? And we have to ask the question, what, what does the world see when they look at us collectively? Are they drawn to the light of Jesus through our love for one another? Or do they just see us like everybody else in the world, disconnected, doing our own thing, living for ourselves? We call ourselves Christians, but that's my own personal stuff. That's my own personal relationship with Christ. That's nobody else's business. Jesus says, you know what it is? It's everybody's business. 
It's all of our business together. So one, one of the things that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks as we walk through this idea of community is how we go about living in community together. How do we grow in this whole idea of community? One of the interesting things about watching the Olympics, or in my case, binging on the Olympics, uh, is the difference between the individual sports and the team sports. You notice that? that I was talking with some folks between services, and we were even talking about the, the difference between when people swim individual races and when they swim on a relay team. They, they swim the relay, and then they all stand there with their arms around each other, hugging each other and saying what a privilege it is to swim for the U.S. and do this together as friends and, and, and as teammates. And, and it's a completely different experience when uh, they do it together, when you're part of another group, when you're part of something bigger uh, than yourself. And when you watch the, the women's and men's volleyball or you watch the soccer game or anything, and they're playing as a team, they're dependent on each other. Nobody wins by themselves. It's not possible. They have to have teammates. They have to have people around them. And here's the idea for us this morning is that being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian is a team sport. We don't do it alone. We can't possibly do it by ourselves. That we really need each other. And then the world needs to see us living it out with each other so that they see Jesus, that we're the picture of who Jesus is to a world that's desperately in need of him. So we need community. We're going to talk about growing together over the next few weeks, and one of the things that I'm going to talk about and, and hound you about, and if you're new this morning, I'll just go on record as saying that my primary spiritual gift is the gift of repetition. So I just say the same things over and over again until everybody goes, okay, we got it, we got it, we got it. Uh, so we're going to talk about being in a small group. We're going to talk about how to be in community together. And, and you might think, you know, okay, I, you know, I don't like small groups. I don't, like, I don't want anybody in my business. And I'm going to just <laughs> say, that's your problem. That's the problem with your life, that we need people in our business. We need people holding us accountable. We need people who love us enough to speak uh, into our lives. And we need the opportunity to speak into other people's lives. We need to figure out how to do life in community, how to follow Christ together in community, that that makes a difference. We have a little saying that, that you, learn, you learn better in circles than you do in rows. And sometimes when we sit in a circle with people and we, we, we take a sermon like this and we say, okay, now how do we apply it to our lives? How do we live this out together? Uh, we get way more out of it than we would if we just took notes or just listened. But we need to live in community. So um, every, every Sunday for the next few weeks, we're gonna have a table set up. Kirsten's gonna be out there to, uh, uh, if you'd like to, interested in a small group. And we're gonna even make it easier for you that um, you don't have to sign your life away but you can say I'll, I'll try this for a while and we're gonna have some small groups that have a beginning and an end so if if you if you feel like okay this fits my schedule or fits my um, what I'm praying is that we'll all be connected through this uh, that we'll all have significant relationships through this and that we'll begin to model the life that Christ has called us to the life that he's created us to live let's pray Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word and Lord, how you speak to us so clearly. And Lord, I'm stunned by your trust in us. That, that you would put your credibility, that you would put your message on the line by how we love each other, how we live together in community. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I pray, Lord, if we need to be convicted, that you would convict us. If we need to be encouraged, Lord, if we just need to take a step in faith and connect with some people, Lord, that you would call us to do that this morning. Uh, Lord, that we might more greatly reflect who you are in this world as we care for each other, as we live in fellowship and community with each other. So, Lord, we give you praise. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Just give us a prayer. Father, the word of the Lord.